Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которое очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, костность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег, могущество Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец Сын Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Сладостно с ними в общении самых близких. 
родных Самых чистых сердец единение Льется к Богу хвала И молитвы возносятся к небу Здесь так много тепла Здесь обилие духовного хлеба Здесь обилие духовного хлеба Люблю Божий дом, нет роднее уголочка на свете. Хорошо со Христом, там, где собраны Божьи дети. Хорошо со Христом, в самом близком общении сердечно. Как мы счастливы в нем, это счастье он дал нам навечно. Это счастье Он дал нам навечно. Здесь собрание святых, Как мне сладостно с ними в общении Самых близких родных, Самых чистых сердец единение Льется к Богу хвала, И молитвы возносятся к небу здесь так Здесь обилие духовного хлеба, Здесь обилие духовного хлеба. Звуки прощальные, 
ночи бесцветные И бархатность дня В мире заброшенном Все, что хорошее Все для тебя Все для тебя Yeah. 
And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the riches and wisdom of God that is still unknown to us and that God wills to open up to us today. Matthew 5:45 and 48 that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. I would like to remind us that perfection, the perfection of God, consists in the fact that he is a servant of his spoken word. And so when his sun shines upon the good and the bad and the just and unjust, then for the just it carries healing in its race. And for the unjust, it destroys them, burns them. The rain is poured out upon the righteous to bless them and the unrighteous to cur uh, curse them because God is holy and not all will be treated the same depending on their relationship with God. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. Specifically, the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant and established in the new tablets of the covenant, allowing God the ability to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the law, but by the righteousness of faith, like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that we would be the heirs of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Romans 4.13 We need to know that the righteousness of faith within our heart is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, or our obedience to the preached word spoken by God's delegated persons. Therefore, the promise of peace is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends his word by his delegated persons. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God. We need to determine or examine whether a person is truly sent by God 
to present the power of his word by the sequence or succession order written in scripture, Romans 10:13 through 17. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so any person cannot for themselves preach. If a person made a decision to preach and goes and preaches, to be, to be able to preach, you need to be sent. The unfortunate thing is that people preach not being sent by God. Yes, sometimes they are sent by men that are in their likeness, and that's why we have today so such uh, ill Christianity that is not able to hallow God's name just let us see that by the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man and is evidence of the fact that we are children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God. When accomplished, this is the goal of the given to us righteousness. Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God, containing the covenant of peace, that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, this is just as, do not worry if in your bank there are millions, then you with thanksgiving, I will be thankful to you if you would take from my account this amount. I need from my account, write me a check. It's kind of the same thing. That in Christ Jesus, God has placed all of the promises upon our account and they are fulfilled. We just need to take from that account those promises. And so be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Thank God for what he has already done for you. There you will have healing. There you will have... Uh, God will provide for you. you. You look at what God has done for you and how he sees you. Thank God for that. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Because if our minds will not be in Christ Jesus, we will not receive anything. The peace of God is only able to guard those minds in Christ Jesus that are renewed by the spirit of their mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. Because for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, even the desire uh, to be in Christ Jesus with all the desire of man to be in Jesus Christ, if he is carnally minded, he cannot be. For, the, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
people in the flesh want to evangelize, uh, perform good work to fast and pray, they are not obedient to the law of God because it is the flesh that uh, promotes these things and prompts these things to come to pass. And a person then becomes prideful uh, that he's able to pray and offer more than any other. You see how many things God has done through me. He will continually boast, not about God, but about himself. God, that through me, God has done this. God without you can do this as well. You have to remember that. According to the statement, we conclude that people that have not allowed the truth of the preached word in the power of the Holy Spirit to renew their mind by the spirit of their mind have not connection have no connection to the peace of God and are not able to have it and consequently have no connection to the sons of peace either specifically by the means of the collaboration of our heart or our spirit with our mind that are within Christ Jesus, we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and dress our body into the resurrection of Christ. And now to look at the righteousness of faith, bringing about the inheritance of the peace of God, and to understand the conditions outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace, so that our mind would be perfect as our Heavenly Father in is perfect, we have come to the necessity to look at four classical questions. What are the qualities of the peace of God in Scripture? Call to guard our minds in Christ Jesus. What power does the peace of God have within the relationship of God with man, man with other men, and with all of the world? What conditions do we fulfill? To be clothed into the peace of God, call to guard our minds in God. <clears throat> and by what signs are we able to determine, examining ourselves, that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed, blessed are the peacemakers or people who have in themselves peace and demonstrate this peace, perform this peace, for such shall be called sons of God. If a person has not died for his nation, for his house, and for his corrupt desires, then his justification which he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee will never convert into righteousness by which he would be able to receive and be clothed into the promise of the peace of God, so that he, he then in his righteousness would bear fruits of peace. And furthermore, not dying for their nation, their house or corrupt desires, the promise of peace will be taken from them, giving them the right to be called the son of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11. The peace of God is our crown because it contains all of the promises of God. The promise of peace receives its power and its legitimacy only by the righteousness of faith in the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both parties or both sides. And if one of these sides breaks or violates the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace between God and man, to note that such a violator can only be man, then the other side being God is released or freed from the responsibility of fulfilling the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness identified as the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as grounds or a basis for God so that he may fulfill his part of the covenant of peace, which consists in leading us into the inheritance of his son so that we would share with him the fulfillment of all that is written about him in the lost prophets and psalms. 
Because the justification that we receive by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into righteousness, with which we became able to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those all around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. We've noted that in this place of scripture, we are talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is able to function only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression or, demonst- or demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 12, 18. Therefore, the peace that we demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness and not as an expression of holiness is actually will actually be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life. Because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. And God will account this to us as a curse because we will be calling these people holy because we communicate with them because we do not accept God's word that identified them as lawless. We say, no, they're holy. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupt good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, 34. We need to judge a not uh, judge a person not how he presents himself not because they call themselves Christians or go to church but how the scriptures uh, identify going to church how to live according to the truth it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the lawless who support the unclean that in their time accepted the truth but afterwards left their church and turned away from the holy commandments that were given to them The very fact of their rebelliousness and resistance of the words from God's delegated people that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace in their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20-21. This very same place of scripture is written in the 49th chapter of Isaiah and other places. In the previous services, we in a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed, and the measure of our faith have already looked at the first three questions and stopped to study the fourth question. By what signs are we able to examine ourselves that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God, called to share with, share in the inheritance of Christ contained in the laws, prophets, and psalms? We've noted that the limit or boundaries of holiness within which peacemakers similar to their Heavenly Father perform peace within time and boundaries ordained to them by God are the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord in the format of the elementary principles of Christ. The tool by which the sons of peace perform peace within the boundaries of the commandments of the Lord is the righteousness of their faith. In a specific format, we've studied six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God 
and have been studying the seventh sign. The first sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace by the f- is by the format of our justification, which we receive independent from the law, freely by the grace of God, in the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans 5.1.2 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. To have the peace of God within your heart by being justified by faith, by the redeeming blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, is possible only by listening and obeying the preached word spoken by God's delegated persons that are placed over us. For all of the promises of God in Him are yes and in Him amen to the glory of God through us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 All of the promises a person can receive by the people that God has placed. He who hears you hears me, Jesus says, he who rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me reje- rejects him who sent me. Luke 10, 16. The second sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is by our ability to have a peace within the boundaries of holiness and as a d- demonstration of holiness, identifying the given law of God in the elementary principles of Christ. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12:14. Holiness is the ability to differentiate and separate dead works from works that are done by God. This is also the ability to differentiate and separate the form of life of the old man from the form of the life of the new man, and the ability to depart, avoid, and not communicate with evil company that hate the truth of the word of God. The third sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is by our membership to the congregation of Israel, which is the chosen by God remnant who receive Jesus Christ. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Ephesians 2:13 through 16. The fourth sign by which we need to judge or determine that we belong to the sons of peace is by the pour of the Holy Spirit upon the wilderness of our heart, which will become a fruitful field that will be counted as a forest. This is a wilderness where there's no water. Isaiah 32, 15 through 18. Until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and the fruitful field is counted as a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain in the fruitful field. The work of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. In the given promise, it is talking about the enthroning of the peace of God within our mortal body by the means of the righteousness of our faith. The fifth sign by which we need to determine that we belong and are a part of the sons of peace is demonstrating zeal for God, where we prevented the sons of Israel from being destroyed by making atonement for them. 
Numbers 25:10 through 13, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore says, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. It shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. The symbol of zeal is the dying of our carnal members, which are fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, not rebuking of demons, but put to death these carnal members we need the teaching of the cross of Christ and the blood of Christ people do not want to know that teaching because you need to pay an appropriate price for it and it needs to be received in a specific order and from a father that is placed by God but people don't want to do that the reason then that they select for themselves such teachers that would be attractive to them and that would be pleasing to them. The sixth sign by which we need to determine that we are part of the sons of peace is by having the kingdom of heaven inside of ourselves. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. Romans 14:17:18 Identifying righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, which identify the kingdom of heaven inside of us, we've been studying in the grown by us fruit of the tree of life. The seventh sign by which we need to determine that we are part of the sons of peace is by the ability to clothe your essence into the holy and selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3.14.15 According to this place of scripture, the rule of the peace of God in our heart is possible upon one condition, and that is if we will be clothed into, into the selective love of God. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehendable for the human mind goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we, we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehendable for the human mind, goals, and works of God called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children. Defining the surpassing our knowledge and understanding selective love of God, Demonstrated in Christ Jesus, Apostle Paul said that having the love of God is supposed to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through, the, through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able, this is talking about the love of God, agape, may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ. This is, of course, talking about the spiritual world, length and depth and height and width. To know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God, Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. The phrase that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints indicates the necessity to find the narrow gate 
in the form of a good wife. And so you need to put all effort to find the narrow gate. It's talking, it's demonstrated again in the mystery of the good wife, symbolizing all of the saints that are included in the category of God's chosen flock. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Proverbs 18.22 To find this grace is the narrow gate. You may shout that you're under grace, but this grace will not reign in your heart. It's not reigning in your heart. And you're talking about grace, not understanding that grace is not something abstract and washed out. Grace is the law that is stricter than the law of Moses. But when they say grace, they think that they can do whatever they want because they're under grace and God forgives everything. He forgives you if you repent or you lead a righteous way of life, but if you repent and live a life of Satan, then you will discover that you are in hell. To find a good thing and to obtain favor from the Lord is to discover the treasure of the kingdom of heaven upon your field. To discover within your body the promise that is given at the door of our hope. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Matthew 13, 44. Looking at the meaning of this parable, we see that if a person will not find by searching for the treasure of the kingdom of heaven that is hidden in the field, he will not be able to use the grace of God to bring about his salvation. The symbol of this field is our body that is under the control of the law of sin and death, but that at the door of our hope is given is given a promise that is called to liberate our body from this law of sin and death. Upon the condition that we sell all that we have for this field in the form of our earthly body, to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs, called to liberate our earthly body from the law of sin and death, we sell all that we have, including our nation, the house of our father and our fleshly life or the life in the flesh. Therefore, finding a good wife is making a matrimonial contract or a marital union with a specific church of saints who satisfy the requirements of God's chosen flock or God's remnant. According to Scripture, the selective love of God as true virtue that a virtuous wife possesses is kindness or goodness that has grown from knowing God by listening to the preached word about the kingdom of heaven that is inside of a man. And such a virtue grown by God within the heart of a man from the seed of the preached word of God about the kingdom of heaven is defined in scripture as virtue is wisdom that comes from above, moral perfection, the bond of perfection, splendor, greatness, beauty, magnificence, and glory. However, to have more practical specification when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God as the true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in the spoken word of the apostles and prophets. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 2 Peter 1, 2-8 As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. We become a, a part of God's divine nature 
future if we will follow these and take these promises that are for our days, by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are in you and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so these seven uh, qualities, uh, virtue, in essence, true virtue, demonstrated in the quality and characteristics of the selective love of God, is none other than the royal crown of the righteousness of God. Therefore, virtue that we are called to demonstrate in our faith in the selective love of God is the love of God that comes from the goodness of God, the qualities identified as the great mystery of God contained in the word of his redemption. 1 Timothy 3.16, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. Because of this, we began to study the selective love of God in the context or format of the seven qualities of virtue, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body in the resurrection of Christ, that is, into our new person. And for this reason or purpose, it was necessary for us to first differentiate the selective love of God from the tolerant love of man. As the quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with what man calls love. Because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues and characteristics of God himself, as well as his all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God, because God is love. And such a love coming from a similar goodness of God is defined in scripture as the bond of perfection. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Colossians 3.14 Here it's talking about the bond of all perfection, these seven uh, qualities of virtue, and so... and so each and so each of these are perfection as one bond one whole bond of perfection the bond of perfection of the selective love of God within the seven given qualities of virtue are unconditional unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man the unconditional nature of the selective love of God egotistical meaning you are my brother you're required you're my father so you're required you're my friend so you're required and so this human form of love is egotistical and it is unthankful when you think that someone's required you will never thank them for it you will always be unhappy because expecting that your father will give you this much and he gave you less a hundred dollars less you thought he would give you 500 he gave you 400 and your face became unhappy he's my father he's required she's my mother she's required he's my brother my older brother or my young younger brother he, he has a business does he not understand I'm, I'm in need and he has a business he's not helping me it's and he and if he does help him it's not the amount that he expected and he becomes unhappy as the brother may have given to him as much as he found necessary 
And so, you see, this is the kind of love it is. It's very egotistical, whether it be in... Uh, whether it be the love of Eros, which is a uh, love between a man and a woman, a husband and wife, they're also a person due to selfish uh, reasons does good so that they uh, would receive uh, satisfaction, sexual satisfaction, because if he doesn't do something, then she will uh, just ignore him or, I don't know, not give him what he is expecting. And so he does things, again, not to receive love from her, but to receive benefit. And so the love of God is not like that. It is different from human love or other every other form of love of man. And so here's how the scripture identified the love of God. Songs of Solomon 8, 6 through 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. God's love is as strong as death, jealous as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the flood drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. This unconditional nature of the selective love of God can be received and given exclusively by knowing the truth and receiving the Holy Spirit upon the basis of absolute and reasonable willingness of the man. And to better understand the way we are called to demonstrate the work of virtue in our faith, the work of virtue demonstrated in the love of God, we need to remember first the genesis and virtues of the selective love of God the purpose of the unearthly love within our faith, the price of obtaining the unearthly love of God agape, and science as evidence of the selective love of God in your faith. In a specific format, as much as the Lord has allowed and the measure of our faith, we partly have already looked at the virtues the scriptures present concerning the springs from which selective love of God flows, in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns. And while defining the perfect love of God, we came to the necessity to separate the perfect and selective love of God from the imperfect and tolerant love of man. In scripture, the goodness of God comes from the selective love of God, which is contrary to evil that comes from hatred of the fallen angels and men that are within the power of these fallen angels. Therefore, as in the Old Testament, as well in the as in the New Testament, the level of power of the selective love of God is determined and is known by the level of power of the hatred of God toward evil and evildoers. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. This is talking about Christ, Hebrews 1.9. Considering that good and evil are, pro are programs to love righteousness and to hate lawlessness is only possible in their care carriers, which are their programmable system. As it is written, the Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals, fire, and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. 
Psalm, one, Psalm 11, 5 through 7. Therefore, to understand the nature essence of the selective love of God in the goodness in the goodness of God, it was necessary for us to look at what or who God loves and also what or who does God hate. Because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we will be able to be filled with all the fullness of God and demonstrate God's reaction in our faith concerning things that are good and evil. Considering that in Scripture, perfection or the fullness of God that is contained in his selective love is within the symbolic number seven. I will therefore limit myself to seven components identifying what God loves and seven components identifying what God hates, although there are many more of them. In a specific format, we've already looked at seven components of the selective love of God in the format of what and who God hates. God loves. Therefore, just as we looked at what and who God loves, we will look at who and what God hates in seven components. First, the selective love of God that flows from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns, by its nature, hates people that hate the Lord. Second Chronicles 19.2 And Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore the wrath of the Lord is upon you. We note that only those who know the Lord are able to only those who know the Lord are able to hate him. They choose their gods and their desires over God. Otherwise, how can you hate or not communicate with one that you do not know or know only in part? Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Psalm 139, 22 The world cannot hate God, just so you know. Which is why God loves the world and commands us to love the world. They're enemies, but these enemies you're supposed to love. They don't know God. They cannot hate Him. You can't hate something you don't know. People of our household, his, the enemies of one is his household, but you're called to love them upon the condition that these house, this household has not died, not a physical death, a spiritual death. If the people of our house, people being Christian, begin to resist the truth and reject the truth with such people of the house, you need to break your relationship and die for them. Jesus said, allow the dead to bury their own dead, follow me. Second, the selective love of God that flows from the virtue of God in the atmosphere in which the peace of God reigns hates those people that perform wickedness in Gilgal. All their wickedness is in Gilgal, for there I hated them because of the evil of their deeds. I will drive them from my house. I will love them no more. All their princes are rebellious. Hosea 9.15 the reason that Gilgal was called the house of God was because this is where this was the place of the tabernacle of Moses. Gilgal is a place of the first stand of Israel in the Canaan land after Israel crossed over the river Jordan toward the eastern end of Jericho. Now the people came up from Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho and those twelve stones which they took out of the uh, out of the Jordan Joshua set up in Gilgal. Joshua 4.19.20 Gilgal means the house of God, wheel, circle, 
eternity whirlwind, the place upon which God reveals his will. Ezekiel 10, 9 through 13. And when I looked, and when I looked, there were four wheels by the cherubim. This is the Gilgal. The four wheels by the cherubim. One wheel by one cherub and another wheel by each other cherub. The wheels appeared to have the color of a barrel stone. As for their appearance, all four looked alike, as it were, a wheel in the middle of a wheel. When they went, they went toward any of their four directions. They did not turn aside when they went, but followed in the direction the head was facing. They did not turn aside when they went, and their whole body with their back, their hands, their wings, and the wheel, and the wheels that, that the four had were full of eyes all around. As for the wheels, they were called, in my hearing, wheel which is Gilgal. God performs his will through Gilgal, in, in Gilgal. Joshua, uh, in Gilgal, uh, Joshua commanded the nation of Israel to be circumcised, and as we've noted, uh, this work that was performed, this was a sign of the righteousness of their faith. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them, all the people who came out of Egypt who were male, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness to all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he he would give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not seen circumcised, had been circumcised on the way. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people that they stayed in that place in the camp. Joshua 5, 4 through 9. The Israelite camp was set up in Gilgal around the tabernacle and was laid out ready for battle, each of the twelve tribes of Israel. After the nation was healed after their circumcision, Joshua performed the Passover feast. And if performing the Passover in the land of Egypt gave the nation of God the ability to come out of Egypt, performing the Passover in Gilgal in the land of Canaan gave them the ability to go and overtake the land that God promised to their fathers that is to, re to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our body. This is uh, symbolically. God had created again our earthly body as his house. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month of twilight on the plains of Jericho. And they ate at the, of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain. On the very same day, then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land. And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. Joshua 5:10-12. In Gilgal, Joshua received instruction about how and by what means they would, they would need to overtake the one and the other territory of the Promised Land. And after conquering a specific territory of the Promised Land, Israel would return to Gilgal. Therefore, to demonstrate the righteousness of faith in the love of God, and doing so provide God a, a foundation to make an eternal covenant of peace with us, containing the complex of all of the promises of God, including the enthroning of the resurrection of Christ in our earthly 
earthly body and clothing our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ, it is necessary for us, like God, to hate in the house of God, those in the in Gilgal, in the house of God, those who have backed away from the elementary principles of Christ and drive them out of Gilgal, which is the house of God. God says, I have hated them for the evil that they had done in Gilgal. <clears throat> we need to ask the question, what wickedness or evil did Israel commit in Gilgal that the Lord hated the ones who sinned and drove them out from Gilgal? According to scripture, the evil that was committed in Gilgal by betrayers of the law of God began in the moment when the nation rejected Samuel and placed Saul upon the throne of Israel. O Israel, you are destroyed, but, you, but your help is from me. I will be your king, where is any other, that he may save save you in all your cities, and your judges to whom you said, Give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger, it's talking about Saul, and took him away in my wrath. Hosea 13, 9 through 11. Before the Lord <clears throat> that abided in Gilgal, where the tabernacle of Moses stood, the nation rejected Samuel and placed Saul as their king, and it is there that they brought peace offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all of Israel greatly rejoiced. <clears throat> so all of the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all of the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. When it says all of their wickednesses in Gilgal, for there I hated them because of the evil of their deeds, I will drive them from my house, I will love them no more, all their princes are rebellious. From this number of men that came to worship God in Gilgal, that in the form of the tabernacle of Moses was the house of God, there was always a remaining or chosen flock that did not take part in the evil <coughs> in the evil works of the rest. Therefore, which the things that were done in Gilgal included, uh, first, before the Lord in the Lord in Gilgal, the nation rejected Samuel so that he not be their king and placed Saul as their king. Second, in Gilgal, Saul, the man placed placed by the nation to be their king, Saul rejected the word of the Lord that was spoken to him by Samuel, which is by which is which is why God then had wrath and rejected Saul so that he not be king because he rejected the word of the Lord and did not listen to the voice of the Lord that he was spoken to him that was spoken to him by Samuel to put the unclean Amalekites to death. 1 Samuel 15, 17 through 26. <clears throat> so Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission of which the Lord sent me, and brought back Agog, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things, which should have been utterly destroyed and to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. If you notice in this place of scripture that Saul said the Lord your God in Gilgal, he didn't say my God or our God, he said your God. Just like when you talk to other people, uh, sometimes they'll say, well, your God does this or your God um, is this way. Dalion 
So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of, your, of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Not the voice of the Lord, but the voice of the nation. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. Then Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you you from being king over Israel. For Samuel 15, 17 through 26. We need to pay attention to one unchanging godly principle. If we agree with the demands of Scripture, but do not hate those people and those things that God hates, then we will share the lot of the betrayers of this word and be, hater, and be hated by God. <clears throat> and before we continue to study the requirements of Scripture to hate and blot out from Gilgal the betrayers of the word of God, I will bring forth two other similar requirements so that by three witnesses we establish the unchanging essence of the given principle. And in this way, give the supporters an opportunity, those supporters who do <clears throat> due to their ignorance and because of their hard heart proclaim a tolerant love of God for men give them the opportunity to repent and not be conformed with the betrayers of the demands of the demands of holiness so that you not share the same lot with them and be hated by God also. 1 Kings 20, 28-43 Then a man, a man of God came and spoke to, to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, The Lord is God of the, of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys. Therefore I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And they encamped opposite each other for seven days, so it was that on the seventh day, the battle was joined, and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. <clears throat> By the rest, but the rest fled to Afek into the city when a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left. If you can imagine this kind of wall that it was, that it was able to fall on 27,000 men <clears throat> who were left, and Ben-Hadad fled and went into the city into an inner chamber. Then his servants said to him, Look now, we have heard that the king of the house of Israel... <clears throat> The kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they wore sackcloth around their waists and put ropes around their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servants Ben-Hadad say, Please let me live. And he said, is he still alive? He is my brother. Now the men were watching closely to see where, <clears throat> whether any signs of mercy would come from him. And they quickly grasped at his word and said, Your brother Ben-Hadad. So he, he said, Go bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to him and he had, he had him come up into the chariot. <clears throat> so Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities which my father took from your father I will restore and you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, 
I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent away him away. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophet said to his neighbor, by the words of the Lord, strike me, please. And the man, re- and the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall, cu- shall kill you. And as soon as he left, a lion found him and killed him. And he found another man and said, Strike me, please. So the man struck him, inflicting a wound. Then the prophet departed and waited for the kings by the road and disguised himself with a, bu- with a bandage over his eyes. Considering the fact that supporters of of the idea of tolerant love of God toward all men to justify their heretic thoughts say that there stay in their heart that the things that happened in the Old Testament are not an authority base for them for their faith teaching that is contained in the New Testament. Therefore, to show the supporters of a tolerant mentality that God in the period of the Old Testament and in the period of the New Testament is unchanging in His Word. The next testimony about the selective love of God toward man I will bring forth from the New Testament. Revelations 18, 1-8 After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon, the greatest fallen, is fallen, and has co- become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. It's talking about the church of Christian people. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works, in the cup which she has mixed mixed double for her, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says to her, in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am no widow, and will not see sorrow. She refuses to be a widow. We become a widow when our sinful man dies. Sin that reigns within our body, the old man, is called sin. The reigning old man within our body is sin. And when he dies as a husband, we become a widow. And she says, I sit as a queen, and I am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned from fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. And now we will return to identifying evil that the betrayers in Israel had committed in Gilgal, the majority of the nation and the place and the place by them king in Gilgal. First, the evil that was committed in Gilgal consisted in that Israel rejected prophet Samuel so that he not be their king and placed over themselves Saul as 
king. Second, the evil that was committed in Gilgal consisted in Saul. With the advice of the nation, rejected the word of the Lord that was spoken to him by Samuel about destroying the memory of the Malachites from under the heavens. This was why God hated them and drove them out of his house in Gilgal and rejected Saul from being king. Therefore, after Samuel carried out the verdict of God over Saul, who spared Agog, the king of the Amalekites, he said to him, Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among them, among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Isaiah 15:32-33. This all happens in the house of God. <clears throat> to understand the evil that was done in the house of God in Gilgal, that included sparing Agag, the king of the Amalekites, by Israel and Saul, we first need to understand who were the Amalekites from their beginning and what relationship was there in the past with Abraham. Second, what was their reaction to the will of God regarding the promise of the Canaanite land to Abraham and his descendants and how they behaved with Israel in the wilderness when God led Israel so that they would inherit the land given by God to Abraham? Isaac and Jacob. Why did God hate the Amalekites so much? And why did he call for their destruction and wants us to dis- to hate them? In other words, the hatred of God toward the Amalekites whom, God, whom Israel spared, resulting in Israel sharing the same fate with the Amalekites. This fate consisted in God driving them out from his house. This points also to the fact that in their time, the Amalekites were a part of the blessing of Abraham. The Amalekites are the descendants of Esau, the brother brother of Jacob, who Rebekah bore to Isaac. What is most paradox is that both Esau and, J- and Jacob, like Cain and Abel, were twins, and still being in the womb, they already fought with each other. Malachi 1, 2 through 5, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his inher- and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, Edom, Esau also is Edom, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the de- desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against them, whom the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see, and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. The reason why God began to hate the Malachites beginning with their forefather Esau is the reason that Esau forsook and denied his birthright, which symbolizes denying Christ and not desiring to and refusing to abide in Christ. Because we become firstborn only in Christ. He's the only firstborn. And the, the one that is in Christ is also firstborn. And denying your birthright is <clears throat> is not wanting to be in Christ. I have my own mind. I have my own head. Your witnesses of of people who have said such things, that they have their own Bible, their own head, and why we need to listen to this person. They've chosen, selected another person, a wicked person over themselves, placed them over them, him over, over themselves, and right now uh, dance before God and eat pizza after church every day. And so I asked one person, why did you go there? He says, they have pizza there. Well, 
The main essence of the evil that was done by the Malachites for which God hated and was angry at them forever was because they hated Israel when God led Israel through the wilderness to the land of Canaan. Exodus 17, 8-16 Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hand became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat, imagine these are two brothers who were twins and born at the same time, and they were, even in the womb, were fighting together for the right uh, who will come out first. And the first appeared it was uh, as if Jacob then it was as if Esau was going to come for the for the right uh, uh, to be first but even though Esau was born first he still forsook that and and didn't care for it and that's why he he uh, he said that to Jacob later what is this birthright take it for yourself he sold he sold it and then later uh, he became upset why Jacob wasn't blessing him uh, when he himself had denied and rejected this birthright. Again, so as when Moses held up his hands, that Israel prevailed, and when he let them, his hands down, the Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. If you can imagine, from morning until the setting down of the sun, lifting your hands and keeping them up, it's impossible. So Joshua defeated Amalek with his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a me memorial in the book of book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out of the out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven and Moses built an altar and called its name the Lord is my banner for he said because the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation from generation to generation God will will battle with the Amalekites in every generation the phrase because the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation speaks of the fact that the Amalekites will battle with the house of God of the uh, battle with the will of God in the body of each individual person in every new generation understandably the symbol of the Amalekites is reigning sin in our body in the form of our old person or our genetic beginning that we inherited from the sinful life of our fathers that contains the inherited by us and belonging to us program of sin, which connects us to the world in the form of our nation, the house of our father, and our corrupt desires in the flesh that resist the will of God and present themselves as the will of God. The great threat to our new person and our peaceful relationship with God is 
are these three things that will always resist the will of God, the reigning of Jesus Christ within our body, and clothing our body into the resurrection of Christ, which is our new person. We need to keep in mind that a person refusing to uh, uh, follow these things will and so again, we look at the uh, Amalekite king Agag. This is the sin that is reigning in our body. This is our old person that is the producer of sin. Because we have in our body this old person, the law of sin and death uh, continues in our body and continues to give power to sin, which is our to our old person that then promote destruction, death, and all these other things. We need to bring forth and, and and bring in the sword of the word of God over our old Agag, the king, and put him to death before the Lord. Otherwise, he himself will bring in the sword and destroy our relationship with God and have us driven out from Agag. And so, to break our relationship with our nation, the house of our father, and our destructive desires born from our mind. We need to hate the sinful conduct passed down from our fathers, the sinful life that is passed down to us from our fathers genetically. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister yet, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Luke's 14, 26, 27, the throne of the reign of Agag, that is our new old person, is our our earthly mind that against the truth of the word of God is called to reign, that is uh, not called to reign within us. He himself decides what needs to be done and doesn't need to be done, what is good and evil. And so this person decides for himself who he needs to avoid, who he needs to speak with, who he needs to love, who he needs to hate, because he, with his mind, dares to interpret the thoughts of God that are written in Scripture. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart, the Lord. <clears throat> so the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things, and the birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found fate, uh, grace in the eyes of the Lord. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God, and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. To obtain favor in the sight of God, we need to be comforted by God and listen to this comfort <clears throat> and give it to those that are under our responsibility. For this reason, we need to refuse the pride of our mind and allow the peace of God to rule within our essence. And this means to love everything that God loves and hate everything that God hates and how he hates. Let us now bend our knees and our heads and we will pray and all those who desire to confront their sinful person, sinful man, this enemy of our salvation.
to be able to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our body and to be clothed into the resurrection of Christ, we, you can come out here now and we'll pray for you. God is strong enough to deliver you from your sinful man, which is the reigning sin in our body and the results, illnesses and weaknesses that it produces. We are at the threshold. I don't know in what day this will happen, but I will remind us that Prophet Isaiah said from the name of God, if I gave you the ability to bear, will I not give you the ability to conceive? If we've received the promise at the door of hope that the Lord can reign within your body and all of your cells will be restored as they should have been in the beginning and all of the viruses in your body will be destroyed and when you walk upon the earth, all viruses will destroy just being in contact with your body and if you put your hands upon any person who is sick, their illness will not no longer be illness because you will be a greatly desired person. That is when you will be so, when Christ will reign in your body and will dress your body into the resurrection of Christ. And as you receive this promise as a seed in your heart, the Lord will not allow you to die whatever may happen to you, but if you clearly keep this promise upon your heart, confess it and do everything to destroy the a uh, king of the Malachites, Agag, the old person, because God has hated him <clears throat> in the house of God. We are the house of God. The church is the house of God. There's enough Agags here, and we need to bring in the sword and, and eliminate him. Let us pray. I am going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that the Lord is for you. He's not against you. He gave his son to death because he loved you. He loved you because you suffer you and you admit to your suffering and you hate sin. But you can't be freed alone. You can't be freed from your sinful person, from these destructive desires that continue to interfere in your life, that continue to promote illnesses, all kinds of unfortunate things and death. The Lord is on your side and he's ready to defend you and enthrone the resurrection of Christ in your body. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God, a sign that you're ready to, to receive from him what he wants to give you. And pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with an open heart. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal me. May the sinful person be destroyed in my body. I hate him in the form of my nation, the house of my father, and my destructive desires. I deny all these things. I, this is my will, this is my decision, help me, and may he be destroyed, the sin that is in me, and may the resurrection of Christ be enthroned in my body. I thank you right now before heaven and hell. I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am justified and I am saved. Amen.
Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all of these blessings come upon you and your children and be fulfilled upon you. And the nation shall say, Amen. Glory to God. Let us now proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.